because of the blood of Jesus. And we would never forget that, that we are the redeemed because of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever done something you couldn't undo? All right. Maybe you made that purchase you couldn't afford, right? Some of you shopaholics. Uh, maybe uh, you failed to live up to a promise uh, you couldn't make. Or maybe uh, you told that little lie that turned into the big lie and you got caught. Or maybe you were tried to hide something that you did and was discovered. And probably we could all identify with this, that we said something we shouldn't have said and we couldn't take it back. And uh, sometimes in, those re- in relationship, when a relationship breaks like that, and we can say, I'm sorry, but sometimes, how many know, sorry is not always enough. Maybe someone's hurt you before, and they could say they're sorry all day long, but it really didn't make it any better. You still felt the same way, or maybe you, you're the one that did something, and even after you said sorry, you still felt guilty about what you did. Uh, so sometimes in relationships, sorry is not enough. And the, the, the same is true with sin. And the reason is, uh, a payment must be made. That person that you offended or you did something to, you say sorry. They're like, okay, whatever. Why? Because they feel like they've been, uh, there's un- injustice come against them, that something happened was unjust, and they think you owe them something, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about today? They think that you owe them, or you maybe you feel like they owe you something. And that's because uh, sin, this broken relationship, a payment must be made to get back to that reconciliation of friendship. And sin with God is the same way. Sin with with God is the same way. It requires a payment. And whether you're sinning against yourself or you sin against others, a sin is always a sin against God, first and foremost. And sin tells us, uh, Scripture would tell us that sin is to miss the mark. It's to miss the holiness of God, to fall below His standard. And uh, we can take a real quick poll today to determine if you're a sinner or not. Ready? If you will die, you are a sinner. How many people know I'm a sinner? Okay, good. If there's any person who's in question, we can test the theory out here in a moment, right? Uh, because the Bible says if you die, if, you, if death comes to you, you are a sinner. Because uh, the wages of sin is death, and death has reigned since Adam. And that death came after the fall in the garden, and that is the punishment for us. So if you have any questions, take a big leap off. No, not really. If, that is, if, you, if death is in your future, then you're a sinner. You're going to be found guilty before a sin. Uh, uh, your sin will find you guilty before a holy God. And here's the, here's the problem today. No amount of apology makes sin okay. We could go to God and say, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, all we want. But the payment still has to be made. That, that sorry is still never good enough. You can try to earn favor by, with God by doing a bunch of holy works. You can try to do more good than bad, like some religions would tell you today. Or you can go the other way. You can try to numb it. Just like that relationship that you have brokenness, and they won't receive your apology, and you're like, oh, shh, whatever, I'm just going to move on from that person. Same thing with God. Sometimes that guilt still eats away with us unconsciously uh, or subconsciously, and we turn to things like drugs and alcohol and sex and relationships, numbing the pain and not wanting to really realize what's going on in our life. And I tell you the what, uh, if you go to listen to some of these testimonies that we hear every week after week and celebrate recovery from around the nation, you'll know real quick. People are running from the guilt of finding true peace in a relationship with God. There's something not right in all of us. And that is the simple fact that nothing can take away the guilt of our sin. We need a payment. We need atonement. 
something that makes amends for the debt that we owe. And Scripture says the cost of that sin would be the death of a perfect life. And it would be the shedding of blood on the altar of God. So here's the big question for us today. What do you have to do to get past your sin, to receive forgiveness, and get access to the presence of God? And, and some of you Christians think you know the answer, but I'm going to go deeper with you today. I'm, all right? You, man, you ready? Here we go. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. What must we do to get past our sin, receive forgiveness, and restore our relationship with God? If you're in Hebrews chapter 9, somebody say amen. amen. All right. Let's go on a trip here back in time to the Old Testament. Because there's this thing called a provisional covering. It was a temporary covering. Something God instituted through the Old Testament law through Moses. Okay, And uh, what really we're looking at here is in the Old Testament, this temporary covenant would provide this atonement. It would be, uh, the word atonement means the payment that would make unity again. It means at one moment. There would be a one payment at one moment that would bring unity, oneness again. And so this atonement, this temporary atonement, it says that the life was in the blood, and it was in the blood of a perfect animal. And this animal would be a temporary substitute that life would be given for life. And it would provide a temporary covering, a temporary atonement for the, uh, the life of that person. That, that person is a sinner, and death is required for that person. But they can't pay because they're a sinner. They sinned, we as mankind, Adam and Eve, sinned when they were in the perfect state of being, okay? And so it takes a person in the perfect state of being again to give up their life. A sinner cannot give up their own life, okay? Because it's not this uh, equal payment, all right? When someone feels like you owe something, they owe you more than that apology. This payment was the perfect life again, okay? And so God got this covenant thing, and it would be a temporary atonement. They would take the life of this perfect animal, and they would kill it, and the blood, the symbolic of their life, would be given as a temporary substitute for the sinner. Now, there were five types of offerings, all right? I'm not going to go into the details today because we simply don't have the time, but there were five types of offerings, uh, like a burnt offering, a sin offering, a trespass offering, a meal offering, and a peace offering, okay? And there were five types of animals that were uh, given by the law that you would have to give each according to how much you could make or how much the law required. You had an ox, you had some ram, you had a turtle dove, some pigeon, uh, and uh, what was the last one? A goat, okay? An ox, a lamb, a goat, turtle dove, and a pigeon. But in all of that, I just want you to know the, the simple fact is this. It had to be voluntary, okay? You and I had to do what the law required, And if you wanted to have peace with God and live again and and make it through and get out of the wrath of God, you would take as how much you ever owed, whatever the price would be, what you could afford, you would take that sacrifice willingly to the place of uh, the altar, okay? And that would be the willing animal too. The animal itself also had to be willing. It would be a tame animal that would willingly follow the willing sinner to the place of the altar, okay? Now, let me go into this a little bit deeper. Just hang with me this morning because I want to tell you, I think we have a picture here of uh, the tabernacle because you have to get all of this to make Christ make sense of what we're going to get into today. So I'm just giving you some background. So here we have, I have to be a willing person to go to the altar. I have to have a willing animal. I have to do exactly what God requires. And there was this thing called the brazen altar. And on the day of atonement, uh, they would go to this altar, and it was a seven and a half by four and a half foot box, a wood box overlaid with brass. 
And it, it would be at the middle uh, of the courtyard. As soon as you would walk into the tabernacle, the courtyard of the tabernacle, uh, there would be a, a tent and there would be a courtyard. That's the tabernacle. As soon as I walked into that place, I would be standing in front of this brazen brass altar, this wooden box where they would light the animals on fire once they killed them. And it had four horns, okay, like spikes on the corners. And there they would take that animal, put a rope around it, and they would tie it to that horn, and there they would sacrifice it outside the altar. And then when they're ready, they would burn it up on the altar. And before you could ever get to the inner place of the tabernacle, which only the priest could do once, uh, one time of year, the high priest. Do we have that slide this morning? Uh, only the priest could do one time a year on this thing called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the priest would fulfill all these duties. He would take a bull for his own sin... He would sacrifice the bull, and he would take a, a, a lamb, a, a goat, a ram, sorry, the first ram. He would take one ram, and he would sacrifice the ram for the sin of the people. So a, goat, or a bull for him, a ram for the sin of the people. And he would take that uh, bull and that, ra- that ram. They would be tied to the altar. He would slit their throat, catch all the blood in a basin. This is kind of Happy Mother's Day gruesome stuff, right? Catch the blood in that basin. And he would go into the holy place, the innermost sanctuary, the innermost room, and in that innermost room was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was this gold box which inside of it held the broken Ten Commandments and the remade Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod and some manna. And that was symbolic of the presence of God. And in that box, and on top of that, that was what was in the box. And on top of that box was a lid. And on that lid were two angels facing one another. And that was called the mercy seat. And that was symbolic of the throne which is up in heaven. And God's presence rested on that mercy seat. And so here's this priest, and he could only go in there one time a year. He would take the blood of that bull. He would apply it to that mercy seat. He would sprinkle it seven times on that mercy seat. He'd go back out, get the blood of that first ram, and he would go back in and he would sprinkle it seven times in the mercy seat for the people of Israel. And he would go and anoint everything in the whole, uh, all seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, anoint them with uh, blood. And then they would have one more goat, and that would call the scapegoat. You ever heard that word before? The scapegoat. So he sacrificed a bull for himself, a ram for the people of Israel, anointed everything with blood. And they would burn the, uh, the bull and the, the first ram, and they would burn some of it outside of the camp. And again, this is all going, you can go to Leviticus and get all the details. So they would do that, and they would take this third ram, the scapegoat. He would take that ram, he would lay his hands on it, and he would confess all the sins of Israel. And they would take that ram, and they would lead it to the edge of the camp, and a Gentile, a non-Jew, would take it and lead it into the wilderness. So this third ram, the scapegoat, is led into wilderness by a Gentile, and theory would tell us they would throw it off a cliff or lead it to fall off a cliff and die. And that was symbolic of God's sin being cast away. And if God thought all this was done right and well, His presence would come down from heaven, fill the holy of holies, and He would uh, rest on that mercy seat. Why? Because the blood would be applied to the mercy seat and He would no longer see the broken law that was inside of it. Okay? We had broken the law and the blood applied would let God come down and say, the blood has covered the law. And now you can dwell with me. And the wrath of God passes over Israel for one more year. And this 
is uh, what the Day of Atonement was. This is what, when you read Scripture, what all the Jews, they would have understood this context. All the, even some of the Gentiles would have understood these things because what was happening in Israel is they would then leave that place living by faith in what the blood had done for them. They would live by faith that because the blood was properly applied to the mercy seat, wrath of God passes over us. And now I live in the new life, the freedom of what that lamb has given up for me, that ram has given up for me. So that's how this all makes sense. When you see all these words in Scripture, that's what it means. Okay, now follow with me today. All of this was good, but it was only temporary. It was something just a shadow to come. The reason this was only a shadow is because, one, the tabernacle and the sacrifice was only temporary. It was only made uh, for something to come. It was only temporal. It was only made with earthly hands. Not only that, it only provided a purification for ceremony. It didn't change the morality of the people. And not only that, the high priest is the only one who could ever experience the tangible presence of God, and not all of Israel. And even more so than that, this wasn't for the whole world. This was just for Israel. So all of this tells us this was to foreshadow something better. Okay, let's get to the better today. Look with me uh, in Hebrews. You're going to be in Hebrews chapter nine and verse uh, chapter nine and chapter ten. Look with me in Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-two. Uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter ten, verse uh, four. Hebrews chapter ten, verse four. It says, "For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. Therefore, he, when Jesus came into the world, he said." Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. God did not delight in these repeated sacrifices, but he wanted a sincere obedience, but none of us could give it. Now, no matter how much religious works we could put in, it never changed our heart. It never truly made us permanently right with God. And even after the Day of Atonement, as I continued to sin, as I would mess up, I would have to take more animals, more pigeons or turtle doves or rams and go back to that place and sacrifice another sacrifice and do it again and again in the hopes that I would make heaven. Okay? But Jesus comes in chapter 10, verse 4, he says, but it wasn't possible for this to really do anything. But he says, tells his father, God, a body you've prepared for me. You haven't delighted in all this, but I have come to do your will. That's the good news. Here, ready? Number one is Jesus became a perfect covering for you and I. And watch this. He became a perfect covering for you and I. He was the perfect priest. We looked into that last week. But because the old way was man-made, it was imperfect. Hebrews 9.11 says that Christ appeared as our perfect high priest, but He entered a more perfect spiritual tabernacle made by God. See, the Bible says it wasn't just enough for the high priest to be a good guy and do a good job. He had to offer something. And our perfect high priest was not just great and awesome because He was a good high priest. He was great and awesome because He offered us the best thing He knew how to offer Himself. He offered himself. So a high priest has to offer something. Jesus said, God, I'm going to offer myself. The only acceptable offering that would undo all of this was a new Adam, a new sinless man. And Christ came to do that for us. He became that perfect sacrifice without spot 
or blemish, just like that perfect lamb that was required. He became like us, tempted and suffered and died. The Bible says he tasted death for everyone so he could be the author of salvation. Now watch this this morning. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he told Pilate, he said, Nobody can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Number one, Jesus became the willing sacrifice. He had to be tamed. That, that, that lamb or that ram had to be willingly led to the altar. That was part of the law. And Christ came willingly. Number two, he says that his sin was transferred to it, just like the, the priest would confess the sin of Israel all upon that sacrifice. Uh, even the Jews, when they were crucifying Christ, said, let his sin be upon our heads. And when Christ took that place on that altar for you and I, all of our sin was transferred to him. The Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Not only that, but he was led by Gentiles. See, the Jews handed him over to who? The Romans. And where did they lead him to? Just like that lamb, that scapegoat was led out of the presence of the tabernacle into the wilderness, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was led by Roman soldiers through the Via Dolorosus, the way of suffering, and led to a mount on a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, outside the camp where he bore our sins. Think of this. God's all foreshadowing what he wanted to tell you today, that Jesus was led outside the camp. He became that unwanted thing for you and I. The Bible says he suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. And just like that ram or that bull was bound to that altar with a cord, Jesus Christ was bound to the cross with three spikes nailed there on that tree, bound, not able to move, willingly laying his life down. And part of that sacrifice would involve that priest as he would be anointing all the different things in their tabernacle with blood. The Bible says that Christ became that more perfect sacrifice that he anointed not the physical things of man with blood, but symbolically, spiritually, he anointed heaven. He anointed this earth. And that priest would take, after he had finished anointing everything in that tabernacle, he would have that blood there in a bowl. And at the base of that altar, at the very base of it, he would pour out the remaining blood on the ground. The Bible says that Christ spilt His blood on the ground for us. That He said this would be the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins in Matthew 26. You see, everything He did, it was on purpose to tell you and I something. His blood was applied to heaven's mercy seat. And right then... As he died upon that cross and his blood began to pour out on that ground, that ground began to soak it up. And his blood was on everyone's hands and we had all transferred our sin to him and we had let him out this, the city gates and he had died that death bound to that altar, that cross. The mercy seat of heaven was looking on and they saw all of us and all the broken law and all the I'm sorry's that could never be enough and all the can-dos, God, if I can just try a little bit harder... God, if I can just do a little bit more good than a little bit more bad, if I go to church more, if I attend more, if I give more, if I just treat people better, if I live a good life, all of that still was not enough. All that I'm sorry was never enough because the law was broken. And when God looked from heaven, just like He looked on that, that ark, of the tabern- or the, uh, ark of the Covenant, He saw the broken law. 
The things that you and I had done that couldn't be undone with as many as I'm sorry as this could be, couldn't be undone with as many uh, sacrifices of animals. It couldn't be hidden with all the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the running from God, the not attending church. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about death. I just want to live my life and move on from here. None of that would escape the awful truth that we would meet the wrath of God. But as that blood from the cross began to drip and it began to pour out upon the earth, something supernatural happened up in heaven. God began to look down upon the earth and He could no longer see you and I and all of the laws that we had broken. He just saw His Son's blood. And the wrath of God would then be passed over to anyone who would willingly come and apply it. His blood was applied to heaven's mercy seat. The Bible says His blood freed us from sin's death and He rendered the devil and his accusations powerless. His blood purified something that the Old Testament blood couldn't do. It purified our conscience. And what was different about Christ's blood was that while you and I can still say I'm sorry, we, in the Old Testament we, could, but we still lived with the guilt. You see, even when you say I'm sorry, it doesn't necessarily change anything. It's just some words. And all that we had before were just some words, just some religious duties, just some I can try harders. But yet the guilt still remained. But when Christ's blood was applied, guilt was washed away. It says there's no more condemnation, no more shame, no more accusations from the devil when Christ's blood was applied. You see, that's a whole new day in salvation history. And so Christ's blood there once and for all gives you access into the heavenly things, the presence of God. Hebrews 9.13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who've been defiled, if that's sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh in the Old Testament, if the Old Testament, it still allowed the presence of God to come down, how much more will the blood of Christ, through who the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, today, there is no limit on the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See, that old blood just allowed a temporary move of God. You and I can bask in the presence of God day in and day out today. If you don't have the full presence of God living in your life today, it's because you haven't walked in it by faith. You see, it's there. The presence of God comes down just like the presence of God came down in that holy place today because of Christ's blood permanently applied. Now the presence of God is activated and engaged in the world today. So He's a perfect covering and He's a permanent covering. It was permanent. Hebrews 9.12 says that not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. even goes on, Chapter 7, verse 27, he says, He doesn't need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of the people, but he did it once and for all. Look at your neighbor and say, once and for all. Once and for all. Think about it. Think about it. When he offered up himself, he did it once and for all. Chapter 10, verse 12 says, Having offered one sacrifice for sin, for all time he sat down at the right hand of God. And then when he said it was finished... What was once temporary became eternal. What was once a repeated sacrifice became a once and for all where He put away the sins and becoming the sacrifice you and I really needed. But here's the even better news. He got up. You see, to demonstrate that He truly was a perfect sinful man like you and I would fail the test today if I would put a 
uh, say to jump off of this roof or here's a gun in your hand or let's try a little daredevil ac- accusation really see if you really are sinless. We probably would all fail the tests. We would, we would die. But because he was perfect, death couldn't hold him. He got up and he true, proved to you and to I that he was good enough. He was perfect enough. He was permanent enough that he was all that we needed to have that eternal redemption that's not longer because of your efforts or to outdo your bad works. And it's not because you could try to dull it with all the pain and and all the things in the satisfy of this world, all the things you could do to numb it all. It was never good enough because Christ needed to die in our place. It's good news today because you and I can rest from all the worry and all the weariness and all the works because his blood has been applied, spilled out, willing sacrifice. But that's only part of it. You see, you got to make it personal today. The word offering in Scripture actually means to be brought near the altar. And so when I would go to make an offering, let's say the Day of Atonement had passed, but I kept on sinning. I made a mistake. I did more stuff. I would not only need that willing animal to find and walk with me there, I too had to be willing to come near the altar. You see, I could still allow, even though the blood was being willing to pour out, even the animal be willing, I had to be willing. You see, there's this big condition in Scripture that you and I must be willing to receive the work of Jesus Christ. It's not enough that He did it. It's that you and I have to be willing to come near and make an offering, to come near the altar. That's the word offering. And so we and I, you and I say, number one, I've got to be willing. The sinner had to be willing to come near the altar. And the question is for you and I today, whether you've been Christian 10 years, one year, one day, one month, are you willing to approach the altar? That being the cross. Because the cross is the make it or break it moment. At that cross, there's, there was, see, there was some obstacle between us that had to be personal. I, uh, I like to hunt. I'm not a big hunter. And I, just to be honest, I, I enjoy hunting, but I really don't enjoy killing things. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's those, those memorable moments when, you know, uh, you shoot that dove or that duck or something and it didn't really kill it and you have to go finish the job with your bare hands. That's not something I really enjoy. Or you go to that deer that you shot and the last breath is still coming out of it and it's just kind of, you know, it's the meat, I don't know, it's just not as good anymore when I think about Bambi or whatever when I'm eating it, you know? Uh, But I like to hunt, but it's more for the experience. You see, it would be personal for you and I to come to the altar today. If we were in the Old Testament time, we would find our willing sacrifice and say that this was the moment, not the, it wouldn't be the uh, day of atonement, but if you and I had sinned outside of that day, we'd still again have to make more sacrifices. So I would take my willing lamb or that ram up to that altar, and I would tie it there. I would tie it there. And this animal who I know, they would be mine, that I'd raise. I would take a knife in my hand and I would slit its throat. I would kill it. And the priest would catch the blood and then he would perform the ritual that God required. But it was always personal meeting at the altar. It was always personal. It would leave an impression upon you and that blood would be upon your hands. You see, if I want to go meet Christ today at the altar, it better be personal. It's getting involved in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I tell you, there was a moment in my life where I had to pray the prayer, Jesus, I need you to die for me. 
You see, the pride in my heart, I didn't want to tell God that. I didn't want to tell him, I needed you to die. Jesus, I want you to die for me. I need to apply that. But the truth of the matter is, I do. I need him to die for me. I didn't want him to. I hated that he had to. But I have to go to a place where it's personal in my heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to die for me. And before you and I could ever get into the presence of God, before we could ever reach the mercy seat, there was something that stood in the way, and that was the altar. You see, I, couldn't ha- I could never get past the altar because I never had the price to pay. It stood there, gazing at me, that cross. And before you could go past the cross, your sin stood there and said, you don't have enough. You can't get into the presence of God. You're not good enough. You don't have anything to get past me. The presence of God's behind me, but I'm standing in the way, and you can't come in this place. You see, none of Israel could come into the presence of God because the altar stood in their way. But it was a man who became willing for us to spill his own blood and said, I'll let you kill me, and I will pour my blood out for you that you can get past your sin. And today, the good news is simply that Jesus Christ's blood was enough that you and I cannot, no longer, we don't have to stand there looking at the altar thinking, I don't have enough to pay. But we can see that there's a Christ laying on that altar. He's bound with three spikes in his hand. His blood's been poured out. And I can come past it. And I can enter into the presence of God because Jesus was the price I needed. It has to be personal today. If you want to get past your sin. I had a price to pay at the altar and I could not pay. There's an old song that used to say, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt he could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. The good news is this, that Christ was a willing sacrifice for any who meet him at the altar. His blood poured out. His life and death, the Bible says, just like the smell of that meat that went up into heaven on those brazing altars, the Bible says that He was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And why is killing Christ good news? Because I can press into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that is the mercy seat, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. You see, you can get past your sin today because you can press in to the presence of God. I can look at that altar and if I say, Jesus, I'm making it personal today. I needed you to die for me. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging my sin before you. I'm confessing my sin upon you, Jesus. You see, the Bible, it says that God's mercy seat, His throne of grace, the author of Hebrews was saying, get this, listen to me today. You can go past the altar and press in today if you want to and if you're willing. It's not about how long you've been saved, how long you've been a Christian. I'm challenging every single one of us, saved and unsaved, meet Jesus at the altar and press in. Wherever you are in your life, whatever place you are spiritually, are you pressing in because He gives you unlimited access into the presence of God, something looked for for thousands of years, 
They longed to press in. They longed to press into the presence of God. And now you and, all, uh, you and I together have unfiltered, unrestricted access to boldly come to the throne of grace, not just once a year, but it says to find a help at any time of need. I can go to the presence of God at any time. But I don't want, you know what? As a Christian who's grown up in church his whole life, I take so much advantage of that. Just to think all that had to be paid, all that had to be done, all that has been looked forward to for thousands of years, that you and I can boldly come to the throne of grace. We can go up to that mercy seat and that law is washed away under the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, son or daughter, come on in. Live by faith. Live in the freedom of the life Jesus Christ has now given for you. You can walk out of this place. Not only does the presence of God stay in that tabernacle, it stays with you. And you are called to live the life that that lamb, that perfect lamb gave up for you. You now live in his stead, in the place of that life as Jesus would be walking this earth today, but he died for you. You are called now to walk in the presence of God just like he did, to live as that perfect man or that perfect woman with the presence of God filling you and moving you. Because the law, even though it was broken, mercy has been applied. Your case has been dismissed. You're innocent before the most high courts in heaven. The blood is atoned for your sin. There's no longer any accusation upon you. Sin has no hold on you. Death cannot keep you anymore. Press in. So long in American church, the, this good news has become such old news. It's just been, oh yes, pastor, I get it. Oh yes, I know. But do you really get it? Because you could press in. It's unlimited, unrestricted, the glory of God to descend in every church meeting we have. The presence of God can come in unfiltered, unrestricted, unlimited. Every time you go to your prayer closet, the presence of God can come in unrestricted, unfiltered, unlimited because the blood's been poured out for you. Because Christ was willing. So let us draw near with sincere heart. Full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from all of our evil conscience, our bodies washed with the pure water of the Holy Spirit. I tell you today, from religion to drugs, our works won't last and nothing we can do can take away guilt or shame. And you'll never escape judgment today if you neglect the salvation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're tired of trying to numb the guilt and shame Maybe you're tired of religious works. Maybe you're tired of not living in the fullness of the presence of God that He's paid for. You can come to the altar. Meet Him at the altar. I'm not talking about a place up on the front of a church. Spiritually. Find that cross. Find that place. And pass beyond the altar and enter into the presence of God today. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing this song. I'm going to just allow you to press in today. As much as you want. However much of God you want, He's here. You've got to be willing. He was willing. How willing am I to say, God, I want to meet you at the altar. I'm going to go past that place. I'm going to enter into your presence. Fill this place. Father God, we just invite your presence to this place today, God.